Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And welcome to Big Apple Hockey. I am your host for today. Doing a little impromptu um, countdown here, if you will. But let me get my uh, my name badge up there. You know me as Philk, John Folkowski. Follow me on Twitter at 92in82. Um, or X, as it's called now. No, I, I refuse to call it that. It's stupid. Elon, you're an idiot for doing that. Please don't ever rename it to X. That was just the most stupid thing that they could do with that. But enough about Twitter, X, whatever the hell you want to call it at this point. Um, I decided to do a countdown of the top 30 NHL defensemen in uh, right now uh, after seeing the hockey guys list, because I thought the hockey guys list was interesting. Um, he had some questionable ones on there, ones that I did not agree with. But I'll give you a rundown of his list um, as we go here. Uh, I do not, unfortunately, have them up on screen. But I will run you down the list going from 30 to 1, just so you know. So um, at 30, they had Ryan Pollock. Uh, 29, he had Noah Dobson. 28, he had Alex Petrangelo. Uh, 27, he had Owen Power. 26, he had Brandon Montour. 25, he had Vince Dunn. 24, he had Thomas Shabbat. 23, Jared Spurgeon. 22, Moritz Sider. 21, Brent Burns. 20, Shea Theodore. 19, Zach Wierenski. 18, Morgan Riley. 17, John Carlson. 16, Mikhail Sergachev. 15, Drew Doughty. 14, Hampus Lindholm. 13, Jacob Slavin. 12, Aaron Ekblad. 11, Dougie Hamilton. Ten, uh, 10, Josh Morrissey, 9, uh, Rasmus Dahlin, 8, Quinn Hughes. I think there's a little bit of a, a bias in there with Quinn Hughes at 8. Uh, 7, Charlie McAvoy. Uh, 6, he had Eric Carlson. 5, Miro Haskinen. 4, Adam Fox. 3, Roman Yossi. 2, Victor Hedman. And 1, Kel McCarr. Um, if you want to go watch his video, uh, his, his video is pretty good. It's interesting. It's always very informative, very detailed. I love Shannon's videos. I'm actually friends with Shannon on Facebook. I, I enjoy a lot of his content, but I disagree with 
some of his spots. And, and that's the fun part about all this is that it's, it's opinion based. Um, I do throw some stats in there to try to look, uh, to try to kind of break some things down and you, uh, you, know, you can make your own opinions and make your own lists and you can feel free to bash my selections. You can feel free to agree with them. You can feel free to discuss them. I'll post a little in the chat here, but this video isn't going to be a terribly long video. We're not going to, I'm not going to be on here for like an hour and a half or so. So I'm going to get right into this and I'm going to start with some honorable mentions. Uh, I did four honorable mentions, guys who I thought will probably start trajecting towards top 30 defensemen, um, depending on change of scenery or guys that maybe even fell out of it for me. And I'm going to start with one that's probably going to draw the ire of a certain fan base. Um, but yeah, Mario, yeah, I agree. I had some questions on his list too. I definitely did. And what's going on, Matt? Good to have you here as always. Um, but I, I'm probably going to draw the ire of a lot of fans north of the border with this one. Honorable mention, Morgan Riley, 65 games played, 41 points. It was a minus nine. Um, actually a lot less minutes this year than he has in previous, uh, uh, years past with only 21, 24. And then he started 63.7% of his shifts in the offensive zone. That's what that means at the end just so anybody is uh, wondering. But Morgan Riley for me, and I know that some people will say he he takes a lot of flack for being worse defensively than he actually is. I disagree with that. I think Morgan Riley is not good defensively, and I'm not even talking about just the Connor McDavid move, but um, I, I don't think that he's all that good defensively. I, I think that he sheltered his minutes. They would show you with the zone starts that his minutes are sheltered for a reason. And not only that, but his minutes get sheltered. The um, The numbers go down for him. And then Toronto has the best defensive team that they've had maybe since 92-93. Is that a coincidence or is, or is that a side product or a byproduct rather of limiting Morgan Riley's minutes? And that, to me, is the debate. Is their defensive success due to Riley's due to due to his downplay, his his kind of uh, you know his down his downgrade in, in usage in minutes? Because he put up better numbers the year before. He put they had like sixty eight points, and they were they weren't nearly as good of a defensive team, and especially with a guy like Mitch Marner, who's a selkie caliber forward. I mean, if Mitch Marner played center, I think Mitch Marner would already have probably two selfie trophies. That's just me. But um, Riley's defense is not great. The offense wasn't there this year. Uh, I, I really wonder about him going forward. Does he have to play a more structured game to be a better defenseman? And does that limit his offensive numbers? Time will tell, but he just did not have a great year for me. I'll go back to the next honorable mention, and I'll say Thomas Shabbat from Ottawa. Uh, Thomas Shabbat was, I think, really underrated this year. He logs a ton of minutes. He logged about 25 minutes and put up 41 points despite missing 14 games, and he actually started 58.3% of his shifts in the offensive zone. So for, for me, 
for a guy that's putting up a decent amount of points like that, but doesn't start an insane amount of shifts in the offensive zone, there are guys that have started a lot higher than this in the offensive zone on this list. Spoiler. So uh, Thomas Shabbat still puts up points, still logs a ton of minutes. He's the guy in Ottawa. I, I do think that there might be someone that will overtake him. Hint. So there's going to be someone else from Ottawa on that list. Yes. Um, but I, I think Shabbat had a really good year and I think just fell outside of it for me. And then the next honorable mention, and I, I might get a little heat for this, but I thought he was great when he got traded. Matias Ekholm. Uh, Edmonton became a much better defensive team when he was dealt from Nashville to Edmonton before the trade deadline. And he puts up 32 points this year, despite starting 58% of his shifts in the defensive zone. That's a guy that could give you 40 points if you even out his deployment a little bit. He's a rock-solid, upper-level defensive defenseman, and he could still move the puck adequately out of his own zone. The reason why I couldn't put him in this list is because there's somebody on his team that starts just as many, uh, just the highest percentage of his shifts in the defensive zone, still put up more points and eight more minutes. So I, I think you could probably deduce who that is from what I'm telling you, but Matthias Ekholm was a force for Edmonton after being dealt, and he was great in the playoffs for them too. So I think Ekholm is – I think he's going to revive his career in Edmonton. And I think the offensive numbers are going to go up. So maybe this time next year, we're having a different conversation about where Matthias Ekholm is. My next – or my last honorable mention – I only did four because I thought there were four that were that close. But Rasmus Anderson, he's put up about 50 points two years in a row for Calgary. He was a plus five on a bad Calgary team while logging 24 minutes – and, he, yeah, he started 59% of his shifts in the offensive zone. But think about it this way. You lose two 100-point players in Johnny Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk. And you replace them with Nazem Kadri, who didn't put up nearly the amount of points he did in Colorado, and Jonathan Huberdeau, who had the single biggest season, single season drop from one year to the next, losing 60 points from 2022 to 2023. 60 points. That's insane for a player of Jonathan Huberto's caliber. And we've talked about how Daryl Sutter plays into that. But Rasmus Anderson, um, just incredible uh, incredible offensively. If you ask me, I think he's going to get better with a new coach. I think Jonathan Huberto's numbers are going to get better. And I think that whole power play and that whole unit is going to play better offense now with Sutter gone. So, um, I'm going to say this about Seth Jones. Seth Jones did not do better. Um, his numbers were horrible offensively. He really, he, and his numbers are sheltered. If you look at Seth Jones, he starts a decent amount more of his shifts in the offensive zone. And I was, I, I considered putting Jones as an honorable mention, but he had 37 points, yeah, and he was on pace for about 40 points in you know 80 games, just over 40 points. But Seth Jones 
starts 56.4% of his shifts in the offensive zone this year, 59.8% the previous year for Chicago. And I, I just don't think that he's that good defensively. He's not. And he hasn't been since about 2018. That was his real great year with Columbus. And his defense has gotten worse every year since then. So to me, Seth Jones needs to really improve his defensive play before we, we worry about talking about him in a top 30 capacity. But I'm going to get to my picks. And I'm going to get some heat probably for this first one. But if you watched him play before he was dealt, you would understand where I'm coming from. Jacob Chikrin. In Arizona, he looked like the Jacob Chikrin of 2021 again. And that was, for me, that was like, wow, okay. Like, this guy looks really, really good again. Really, really good. He had 28 points in 36 games while logging 23 minutes in Arizona. And in Arizona, he started 59.9% of his shifts in the offensive zone on a bad team. But it was the Ottawa where he, he lost he lost a bit of responsibility. So he went from playing 23-16 a game to 21 a game. And his defensive zone shifts increased uh, as he went from 40.1% in Arizona to 42.4% in Ottawa. So Chikrin, I, I, I think that, and again, these lists, this list specifically, mine, is based on a few factors. One, what they did this past year. Two, what direction I see them trending in. And three, whether or not their play is sustainable. And I do think Jacob Chikrin's play from that Arizona season, from that part of it, is sustainable in Ottawa. I think that he had a hard time adjusting to a new team and a new system, and he got lesser responsibility in Ottawa. So I, I think we're going to see a, a rejuvenated and focused Jacob Chikrin this year in Ottawa. I, I think he's going to have a really good year. I do. I think he's probably going to score 40-plus points maybe even 50, depending on the usage, whether or not he's the power play guy there. But, it, I mean, he's going to have to deal with Shabbat and maybe even Sanderson. So they're going to have some uh, competition for that power play point spot. But I'll move on from Chikrin. Vince Dunn, 29 for me. And I know that people are going to look at those numbers and say, wow, how do you have him at 29 when he put up 14 goals and 64 points on a Seattle team that really didn't have a lot of offense. You're right. They didn't have a lot of talent on that team. But when you play 23 minutes and you're starting 66% of your shifts in the offensive zone, you're going to put up points. That means to me that Vince Dunn was sheltered. Sheltered. And he was their top pairing guy with Adam Larson. But they sheltered a lot of his shifts and started him in the offensive zone to give him the best possible chances to put up more points. And yes, you want to do that with your top guys. You do. But Vince Dunn is, to me, I also think that Vince Dunn may not be able to sustain that. I think that this might be a career year for him. He had a great year, and I'm not going to take that away from him. But I really wonder whether or not he can put up those numbers going forward. And they have 
they have a guy like Matty Beniers that's developing on that team. You have a, a bunch of young talent coming in in Seattle, and, and they've got a good roster going forward. I, I, I just wonder, Jared McCann, 40 goals, is that going to happen again? Is that is that going to happen again? I, I don't know about that. I really don't. Uh, I, I wonder about where they are. Oliver Bjorkstrand, Yanni Gord, Alex Wenberg. I mean, what what gives there? What gives? Because they they have talent, but someone's gotta someone's gotta step up there. And Shane Wright's another one. Shane Wright, you have him going forward. You expect him to be a real good top six center, but. I mean, I don't know, and and I just, I really wonder about someone like that having that good of a career year after being maybe a thirty point defensive. When you almost double your production from one year to the next, or your best year to your career year, that's really when I start to wonder about whether or not that's sustainable. So, uh, I'm going to move on from Vince Dunn, Adam Pellick. Adam Pellick, for me, I know that a lot of people are going to say, why is Adam Pellick higher than guys that actually put up points? Adam Pellick is as high as he is on this list because Adam Pellick is the Islanders' defense. When he's out, they fall apart. We've seen it several times over the last couple of seasons. 2022, he was out for a while. They fell apart. When he was out this year, they fell apart. Adam Pellick is one of the top three best defensemen in the league in terms of defensive play, shutdown play, one-on-one, positionally. He's a leader on that back line. He starts 66.5% of his shifts in the defensive zone. That goes to show you how they deploy him. And Shannon, the hockey guy, put Ryan Pollock on there instead. Ryan Pollock is supposed to be the two-way guy on that pairing. He's supposed to put up points. He hasn't put up points recently like that. And his defensive play is nowhere near as good as Adam Pellick's play is. They're great as a pairing, but Adam Pellick is the far superior defensive defenseman by far. And if Adam, if Ryan Pollock isn't giving you the offensive production, then how is he a better defenseman than Adam Pellick? I don't see it personally. I just don't. I'm sorry. I, I, I see the importance of Adam Pellick, and I think every Islander fan would agree with that that Adam Pellick is the most important player on the defense. Oh, and Shannon also put Noah Dobson on that list over Adam Pellick. Noah Dobson, the guy who really isn't great defensively, who took a step back defensively actually this year, put up close to offensive the same offensive numbers as he did the year before. But where where is the defense for Noah Dobson? Noah Dobson's out. You know that they're not going to lose a ton defensively. When Adam Pellick's out, that defense is in shambles. So, for me, it's Adam Pellick. Next, 27, Brent Burns. I might get flack for him being as low as he is on this list. But I will tell you right now, um, Brent Burns had a great year offensively. But he played with Jacob Slavin. And... I, I think, if anything, Jacob Slavin is the perfect complement to a player like Brent Burns. 
He's the, the defensive guy that holds down his own zone. Uh, he's probably, for my money, if there was a Rod Langway award, Jacob Slavin wins it every year. He's just that good defensively. Uh, but Brent Burns benefits from that. And you'll see what I'm talking about with deployment when it comes to Burns and Slavin, because it's interesting that two guys that play on the same pairing have different deployment stats. But Brent Burns starts 61.5% of his starts in the offensive zone. 61.5%. Jacob Slavin's number is nowhere near as high as that. You're actually going to be pretty shocked when you find that out if you, if you don't go and look it up. But Brent Burns, great offensive defenseman still. I wonder how many years like this he has left. But he had a great year offensively. He helped Carolina's power play improve a little bit, even though they still need help. They still need work. But um, I, I I love what Brent Burns does for you offensively. He moves the puck well. He's got the big, booming shot. But they just brought in Tony D'Angelo. They brought him back. How does that affect Burns' minutes with the power play? Because where do they put D'Angelo in, in regards to the power play with that? So that that's really what I want to know. But Burns, not a great defensive defenseman, not a liability in his own zone, passable at best, but he's more known for his offense. And I really wonder which way he's trending in. I, I mean, at his age, I'd imagine he's not getting better. So... Uh, I, and I'm going to go on to the next one. Brandon Montour. Love the offensive numbers. 16 goals, 73 points, career highs. By far career highs for Brandon Montour. Brandon Montour came out of nowhere and was, for me, he's the breakout player of the year. You could talk about Vince Dunn, but Brandon Montour before this, his career high in points was 37 points last year with Florida in 2022. He doubled, almost doubled his his career high in points. So for for me, uh, you know, Will, yeah, I, I get what you're saying here, but I'm not worried about bottom pair. I'm not worried about pairings in terms of even strength minutes. I'm worried about the power play. Does, does D'Angelo take Burns off that power play? I don't know if he will or not, but I think they may have to – divvy up the power play minutes a little more. So, uh, but getting back to Montour, 37 to 73 points. That is a gigantic jump for a defenseman. There's another defenseman on this list that did the same thing and actually broke the double mark for doubling his point production. But he's a little further down the list. We'll talk about him later. But Montour, sheltered, second pairing defenseman, Played a lot with Mark Stahl. 63.9% of his starts in the offensive zone. Plus nine, great. But for a guy who put up that many points and started that type or that high of a percentage of his shifts in the offensive zone, you want to see a better plus minus. And again, I'm not saying plus minus is, is a be-all, end-all type stat. Please don't take it like that. It's not. But you figured it would be a little higher than a plus nine maybe somewhere closer to plus 15, plus 20, something like that. But that moves me on to a guy like Shea Theodore, another offensive type who I think is a little better defensively. But unlike Brandon Montour, I think Shea Theodore can sustain this type of offensive production. 
And the reason I say that is because Theodore has been a consistent 40-point guy. He starts less of his shifts in the offensive zone at 57.3%. And he's also Vegas's number one power play option. So for, for me, I think Theodore is going to be the offensive guy going forward for them. I don't think he's the guy, though, in Vegas, and that's why I have him as low as he is. I, I, I think that when it comes to responsibility, there's a certain player on his team that sh- that actually bears a lot more responsibility on his shoulders, and he's a lot higher up the list. We'll talk about him later. But speaking of guys that are the guy on their teams, Jared Spurgeon. 79 goal, uh, 79 games played for Minnesota, 11 goals, 34 points. Kind of a downtick in numbers for him. He's usually a guy that plays 23, 24 minutes per game every year. But 59.8% of his starts in the defensive zone. And Jared Spurgeon's put up 40 points before in a season. He's done it multiple times. I think if Kirill Kaprizov wasn't hurt, I think Spurgeon probably puts up 40-plus points. And for a guy that's 5'9 and 170 pounds, maybe 175 pounds, soaking wet on a good day, Jared Spurgeon plays some tough minutes against the game's top competition every night. So Jared Spurgeon, probably one of the more underrated defensemen in the league. I I think he's great. I, I think that Minnesota has an anchor there. I just wonder how many more years he can give at his size taking the beating that he's taken over the years from some bigger forwards. But Spurgeon's a very good defenseman. Uh, There's not a ton of talent on that blue line anymore in Minnesota. Suter went out of his prime years and left for Dallas. Uh, Dumba wasn't the same after that 50-point season, and and now he's gone. But Jarrett Spurgeon has been a consistent rock. He's been a stalwart for them on that blue line in Minnesota. So that's why I have him at 24. Next, I may get some meat for this one. I may not. If you watch him enough and you really take the time to analyze his play, Darnell Nurse is actually a really good defenseman. Is he worth $9.25 million a year? No. No. I still think that contract's crazy. I think he's overpaid by about a million. I think Darnell Nurse at anywhere from $7.5 to $8 million would be a great value deal for a defenseman as good as he is. Think about this. All 82 games played, 23 minutes per game. He eats minutes. 12 goals, really good. 43 points, really good. He's not on Edmonton's first power play unit with McDavid, Dreisaitl, and those guys. Evan Bouchard is the lone defenseman on that unit. Remember that. Not only that, but he put up those offensive numbers while starting 64.2% of his shifts in the defensive zone. That shows you how they deploy him and the fact that he still puts up points at mostly even strength. That's really good. You know what that reminds me of? Ryan McDonough as a Ranger. Ryan McDonough as a Ranger put up, had multiple 40-point seasons. Yes, Darnell Nurse was list uh, was missing from Shannon's list. Yes, he was. But um, Darnell Nurse, to me, 
plays a lot like the way Ryan McDonough did in New York. He put up a lot of points at even strength. He wasn't a big power play guy because he didn't really have the big shot. And the New York Rangers power play just wasn't good while he was there. And that and Darnell Nurse still puts up a ton of points at even strength. Remember, 2012, Ryan McDonough was top, I think, five in even strength points amongst defensemen. He had, what, 30 of his 32 points that year at even strength. Crazy, right? But Darnell Nurse, yes, this is the comment right here. Because Darnell Nurse is overpaid doesn't mean he's not good. He's very good. He's very good. He's just overpaid. And I, I think if the offensive numbers increase, I think if he played on that power play, which he's not going to because Bouchard is just – Bouchard's a power play guy. He's really good at that point, and he's only going to get better and put up better numbers there. But Darnell Nurse is really good. Darnell Nurse probably could put up even more points on another team where he got the power play minutes. And he wasn't starting 64% of his shifts in the defensive zone. Let's just say he started maybe 55%. Maybe that's the difference between him scoring 43 points and 55 points in a season. Next, I think this guy is going to decline a bit. But um, I, I still think he's a very good offensive defenseman. I think the defense leaves a bit to desire. But I think he plays defense more in the aspect of holding on to the puck, and that's Chris Letang. He missed 18 games this year, but he still had 41 points. He logged 20, almost 25 minutes per game, starts about 63% of his shifts in the defensive zone. I like Letang still for the next couple of years, but I think he's trending downward. And I still think he's capable of giving you productive minutes at that level. I wonder how that is going to be, though, with Eric Carlson. Because if you ask me, I would rather have Eric Carlson out there, considering that Eric Carlson can play keep away at such an elite level that, you know, you take him being hemmed into his own zone. But the question with Eric Carlson is, and we're obviously going to talk about him later, um, whether or not he'll be able to play that same type of game in Pittsburgh under Mike Sullivan's system. So I like Latang. I, I, I think he's still very good. I, I just wonder about him defensively, and I wonder about his age and his health and the way that he's trending. And that's why I have him as low as I do on this list right now. I know this one might surprise people, but Zach Warensky. Zach Warensky's really freaking good when he's healthy. And that's the problem here. Zach Warensky was not healthy this year, as you can see. Only 18 games. Or, yeah, only uh, 13 games, rather. Sorry. And he had eight points which is good. That's that's on pace for like 50-something points, maybe even 60. But he starts a ton of his shifts in the offensive zone. Ton. Mario, if you do the, if you, if you do the pacing, he's like a 60-point defenseman if he plays the full, the full uh, 82 games, which is great, but the defense is still just bad. And I again, it's not just about production. And it's not just about what they did this year. It's the way I see them trending as well. 
And that's why some of these picks are probably going to draw the ire for some. For instance, you and Seth Jones. You, you don't you don't like the fact that Seth Jones is robbed. And there's I bet you if I have Toronto Maple Leafs fans watching this, or if they come across this, they're gonna be like, How do you not have Morgan Riley in your top 30? Well, I mean, I wonder about Morgan Riley. I I really do. I, I wonder if, if there's gonna be structure. And I mean, if they're the best defensive team they put up in years has to do with Morgan Riley's defense or his numbers being limited because of their deployment and the fact that his numbers went down, then you know what? Maybe Morgan Riley's not going to put up the same numbers going forward. Maybe they're going to say, Hey, you know what? Just like Mike Madano and Steve Eiserman, they had to sacrifice when they had uh, Ken Hitchcock and Scotty Bowman come in and say, Hey, you know what? You guys are not going to be superstar 100 point players anymore. You're going to be, you're going to be changed. You're going to be changed. You're going to be forced to play within a system, and it's going to benefit the team instead of you. Charlie Conway syndrome. Mighty Ducks, everybody. D2, D3. Charlie Conway. So, um, I'm going to uh, – Wierenski, though, I, I just think that he's still young enough. I mean, he's 26. He just turned 26. He's one of the best goal-scoring defensemen in the league when he's healthy. He's, he's a guy that could put up 25 goals plus, I think, if he's healthy. He had 20 in 63 games in 2020. That's really good. So I, I think that he's one of the better shooting defensemen in the league. He logs a ton of minutes. He logged 25, almost 26 minutes per game last year when he was healthy, and he played 68 games. He had 48 points. Wierenski is a top-notch offensive defenseman. His defensive play, yeah, it's not terrible. It's passable. It needs improvement, but it is passable. So I I do like Wierenski going forward. I I think if he stays healthy, he's he's probably a 50 to 60-point defenseman, maybe even more. Number 20, John Carlson. Uh, John Carlson's getting up there in age. I believe he is 33. If I'm correct, yeah, he is 33 going on 34. Um, He had 29 points in 40 games this past year. He had 71 in 78 games the year before. Uh, I just think with this team and their their defense, the Capitals, uh, and the, the fact that the core is aging around them, I think Carlson is probably going to be somebody who falls off a little bit over these next few years. And it, uh, maybe it's not this year. Maybe he bounces back to be a 60-point defenseman this year. Everybody stays healthy. Um, Nicholas Backstrom's healthy, and he's back to form maybe a 60-70 point. Nicholas Backstrom again. Alex Ovechkin scores another, what, 40, 50 goals. Um, I think Carson can be that again. I just think that he starts a very, very high number of shifts in the offensive zone. They shelter him because his defense is not that good. It's just not. Now to the polar opposite player, here's Jacob Slavin. If there was a Rod Langway award for best defensive defenseman, this guy would win it every year. 
And I'm not just saying that because he was one, he was our first active NHL player guest on this show. I'm saying that because he's just that damn good defensively. And I hate the fact that the Rangers have to play against this guy. I can count the number of times on one hand where I've seen him look silly. And Artemi Panarin, when he had that crazy shift against Carolina a couple of years back, was one of them. So um, I, I love Slavin's game. He moves the puck well enough out of his own zone adequately. I think if he got more offensive minutes, you would see more offensive production out of him. He's good. He can score you 30 plus points and, and, and play nearly even identical offensive and defensive zone shift starts. So 50.4, that's as there's actually somebody who's actually got more of an even split than he does. But Jacob Slavin tell you right now, even with Brent Burns, the fact that there's a disparity between Brent Burns is 61% and Slavin's 50.4 offensive zone starts, that just goes to show you how much of a workhorse Jacob Slavin is defensively. So I, I love Slavin's game. I wish he was a Ranger. I would I can tell you right now, there are not a lot of guys I wouldn't trade for Jacob Slavin. Hampus Lindholm. I only have him higher than Jacob Slavin because Hampus Lindholm is an upper-level defensive defenseman. But his offensive numbers are usually a little better than Slavin's every year. I don't think 53 points and 10 goals is sustainable for Hampus Lindholm. I think that's just a byproduct of Charlie McAvoy missing significant time and him playing on a great offensive team in Boston this year. I think you're probably going to go back to seeing Hampus Lindholm being the 35, maybe 40-point defenseman that he was previously. But he logs tons of minutes. He's a tough-as-nails shutdown defender. He's a pain in the ass to play against. And 51.9% of his shifts starting in the defensive zone shows you how much of a Swiss Army knife he really can be. He moves the puck out of his own zone adequately. He's a guy that could be relied upon in all situations. If you wanted to put him on a power play, he could help you there. He could. I just don't think you're going to see that with McAvoy and some of the other guys that they have on that unit. For me, number 17, Moritz Sider. And I thought about having him lower, but if you watched Moritz Sider you know that the first half of this year, he hit that sophomore slump. But the second half of this year, of this past season, he looked more like the Norris Trophy contender that I thought he was going to be at the start of last season. So for me, the fact that Moritz Sider plays 23 minutes a game and he went from starting maybe about 50%, I think it was 51, 50 or 51% of his shifts in the defensive zone in, uh, in his rookie year to 53% in his sophomore year just goes to show you that he could still put up points despite an increase in defensive responsibility. Okay, 50.8 defensive zone starts as a rookie. Really good, actually. For a rookie to be able to get close to almost even in terms of offensive to defensive zone splits, 
like that, that's really good. But in his second year, 46.1% in the offensive zone starts, 53.9% defensive zone starts. And there was, oh, hey, we have a special guest. How's it going? Not bad. I'm, I'm probably about almost halfway through. Oh, all right. I see you got a brewski in your hand there. Yeah. Yeah, why not? It's a great day to have a brewski. I just, I just wanted to pop in and ask, and ask the magnificent Silk. Did Noah Dobson make your list of top 30 defensemen? He did not. I'm very upset about that. I, You know what the problem is for me with Noah Dobson? Sheltered minutes, not great defensively. And I, I don't think that he's the guy on that team. Is he That's the fair. offensive guy? Yeah. But you can't. You cannot look at me with a straight face and tell me that that defense doesn't revolve around Adam Pellick. Oh, defensively, absolutely does, yes. No, that For defense sure. falls apart when Adam Pellick is not in that lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the That's guy. True. That's why I had him in my top 30 and not Noah Dobson. That's fair. If you if you were going just strictly based on offense, Noah Dobson would be there, though. He had to be. Well, yeah, that would. I mean that that's that's a given at that point. I mean, in terms of defensive scoring, I I think he was in the top thirty. He may have actually actually no, he may have been just outside of it. I think I think he had two less points than two two years ago. He had fifty one points. Last year, I think he had forty nine. But he had forty nine. Um, yeah. Nonetheless, he, he's a fifty point D that I I expect him to maybe to maybe reach around sixty three or so in his prime. But he need, he needs to get his defensive game together, though. I will say that he needs he needs to improve his defensive game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Noah Dobson was actually twenty set tied for twenty second in points with Victor Hedman and Rasmus Anderson. So yeah, I mean top thirty, he would be there. Um, I, I Shane Gostaspear really kind of um, he's he's a guy that finished outside of the top thirty. I think he could put up more points. I think Thomas Shabbat, who also finished outside of the top 30, would put up more points. Chris Letang had 41 in only 64 games. He was 31. Yeah. Shane Theodore had 41 in only 55 games for Vegas. Um, Tony D'Angelo had 42 in only 70 games. That's crazy to think about. Who, who did who did you who did you have at number one? Was it was it uh was it Cal McCarr? Uh, I'm not going to say that yet because we're not there yet. Oh, all right, all right. Oh, we're you're going okay. So you're doing from. I see what you're saying. More, yeah. You know, more. Sider had compared to what two years ago last year, he wasn't nearly as good offensively. No, but if you look at the numbers in depth, Moritz Sider started 50.8 of his shifts in the defensive zone as a rookie, which is pretty yeah. close to even. It's a close to an even split. Yep. Um, this past year. He actually started 53.9% of his shifts in the defensive zone, and he had a bad first half. The second half of the season, he looked a lot like he looked in his rookie year and possibly even better. Yeah, I expect him him to be better next season. Part of my list is the criteria I did it on was three things. I did it on the year they had this year, um, 
the way that I see them trending going forward and whether or not their play is sustainable. Mm-hmm. I think Warren Sider, I think he's going to get better next year. I, I, I think by the end of next year, he might even crack top 10. He very well might. I, I think he's that good. Um, no. The next guy I have is Aaron Ekblad. I have him at 16. And part of that is because I think he's a huge bounce-back candidate. Yeah, I agree with that. Ekblad wasn't – I mean, he wasn't as good last year. No. But, I mean, this is a guy that's – he skates really well for a big guy. He moves the puck well. Um, I, and I think he – I think he's going to miss the first month or so of the season. Uh, he's recovering from a multitude of injuries. Yes. Uh, but he's, he's a really good defenseman for sure. And there's no doubt that Panthers defense goes through him. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I had Montour. I think I had him at 20, I had him at 26, Brandon Montour. But if, if you look at Brandon Montour, yes, 73.16 goals is great. And he logged more minutes per game than Ekblad did. But he started 63.9% of his shifts in the offensive zone. That's an extremely high number. Yeah. Yeah. Brandon Montour, for me, is a tricky one because he had a career year. I mean, he's, he's obviously he could put up the points. He skates really well. But honestly, I, I don't really think he's that great of a defenseman when it no. comes to just defending. No. And not only that, but career year, he had one point less than double of his previous career high from the year before. Yeah. It, it is 73 points sustainable for Brandon Montour. I have some serious questions about that. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I, I'd be surprised if we put up 73 points again. Yeah, exactly. And that that's why I had him as well. I had him because I, I, I wonder about that. There's actually somebody else on this list that we're going to go over in just a little bit that actually doubled his career high in points. So Double. you're going to think about that until we get to him. Where where do you have uh, where do you have my good I, I say good friend like I know him um where do you have my friend uh, Ryan Pollock half of the P and P pairing do you have him anywhere on your list No I didn't have him on my list I didn't even have him as an honorable mention you know I mean, what? that that that's fair I mean if you're going by strictly defensive defenseman he'd have to be on there I don't you know what overall even top more. thirty maybe. I... I feel like his defensive play has kind of gone down a little bit. And I, I, I feel so, like right. – and the offensive numbers aren't there either anymore. Like, I remember a few years back we were talking about him maybe pushing up to being a 40-point defenseman and, and yeah, you know, yeah. being one of the better – but he just – is it just me or, or do you think he's taken a step back too? He's definitely taken a step back offensively. Defensively, I think he's actually grown. I think – I think Barry Trotz kind of coached the offense out of him because, um, you know, again, I'm not looking at my phone, but I, I, I'm just trying to strictly go by memory here. But I'm pretty sure he had back-to-back years where he was a, over a 30-point defenseman. He was, um, yes, you're right. Yeah, and uh, and one of those years, I think he had double-digit goals, like at least 10. He did. Um, since, since then, he, he hasn't. I think Trotz coached the offense out of him, uh, so he's he's – Downgraded significantly there, but he has gotten a lot better defensively. I mean, defensively, I actually as State of Survival saying right here with his comment, um, Ryan Pollock was great defensively in the playoffs. Um, but, yeah, his offense has gone away. His offense has dried up, which is a shame because for a guy like him who shoots the puck as hard as he has, 
he can he could put up more points, but I, I don't know if it's confidence or it's just at this point it's gone. But I, I thought he had a lot more potential offensively. So did I. I thought he was going to be a 40-point guy. I thought with his just absolute cannon of a shot, uh, I thought that he was going to be their power play guy. He was going to put up like 40-plus points, and he was going to be a solid defensive defenseman. He would be one of the better two-way guys in the league. But it, it just – you're right. I think maybe Trotz coached the offense out of him. And I mean, that's not. <laughs> this is a guy that preaches defense first, so it's not a crazy yeah. thing to say that. No, it's not. So, You're right. You're definitely right about that. So oh. I see you flashing Quinn Hughes is 15 here. Um, yeah. How soon do you think Luke Hughes gets into this conversation? How many Ooh. years before you consider Luke Hughes? That's I, a good question. I, I don't know. Um, you know what? I I, I think Luke. Could actually end up better, being a better two-way defenseman than Quinn. I think I Luke would be that. a guy that could put up fifty-plus points and be a better two-way defenseman. I think the way that I saw him dominate the World Juniors and at Michigan makes me think that he's probably going to be a lot better than I ever thought he would be. Yeah, I, I just I I thought he would be a top four defenseman. I, I I wouldn't be shocked he turns into a number one defenseman. I agree with that. He and also he has one thing that Luke, uh, Quinn Hughes doesn't really have size. Size. He's bigger than Quinn Hughes. Quinn Hughes is much smaller. Luke Hughes is bigger. He's rangier. That helps with reach. Um, Gap control. Yeah, I think Luke Hughes is going to be really good. And as an Islander fan, that pains me to say. Yeah. But I think <laughs> him and him and Simon Nemich on the back end there is bad news for yeah. Islander and Ranger fans. It really yeah. is. Oh, I agree. That scouting and development staff in Jersey is really, really good, and they're doing a really good job with those young guys. So that, yeah. that's not something we want to hear as uh, fans of teams in the uh, Metro Division. But um, Quinn Hughes, yeah, I you know what? he For my money, he's one of the top, I would say, five best offensive defensemen in the league. Yeah, he is. He, he, just, is. he creates offense at such a high level. It's not even funny. His minutes are a little sheltered. Um, his defensive play just leaves a lot to be desired. And he's been criticized in by Vancouver media, fans alike, for his soft defensive play, and that's why he's as low as he is. Otherwise, if he rounded out his defensive game, he, he'd be a surefire top ten because oh, the absolutely. offense is insane from him. Absolutely. And, you know, you, ha- you have to really – I mean, you have to really kind of consider the fact that in a, in a perfect world, you can't have a, a perfect defenseman that has everything that checks every box, size, strength, yeah. speed. He has the speed. Yeah, he's a little on the smaller edge. So with that, you have to take you have to live with the fact that, you know, maybe he's going to get pushed off the puck a little more easier than some other guys. But, um, you know, he, he's a great defenseman. I, I think teams would line up to get him if he was ever available. Oh, yeah. You, you just have to face the fact you have to live with, you know, you have to live with it that he has some warts there defensively. But when it comes to putting up points offensively, he's one of the There's best. There's very few better. Top five. Top five for sure. Yeah. Top five for sure. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I, I could take being pushed off the puck. I get it. Size is there. It, there it, size is hard to overcome in that aspect, in the physical aspect. But just be better positionally and more aware in your own zone. And that's yeah. really what I want more of. And I think Quinn Hughes can do that. I think he needs to. Yeah. Um, speaking of the Devils. Dougie Hamilton at 14, 22 goals, 74 points. But the big thing that sticks out for me, almost 66% of his shifts start in the offensive zone. That means to me 
that the way that Lindy Ruff deploys him and says, I don't want you starting in the defensive zone. I want you starting strictly in the offensive zone. And I think we just lost Anthony, but um, he may be back on, may not. But Dougie Hamilton, for me, is a, a, a top-notch offensive defense, and this is a career year for him by far. He was a guy that was 40, 45 points, maybe 50 points he would get to in a, in a good year before this. But 74 points out of nowhere at 29 years old, his career, his previous career high was 50 points in 2017 with Calgary. And that's a really good year. But Dougie Hamilton at 74 points, who would have thought this? Who would have thought? So I like Hamilton. Um, I just don't like him defensively all that much in his own zone. I, I think he's a great puck mover. He's got a great shot. He can run a power play. He can do everything you ask of him offensively. But, again, like Quinn Hughes, he has his warts defensively. And that's why I only have him at 14. I think if he was a more well-rounded defenseman, I would probably have him top 10. Speaking of well-rounded, Drew Doughty. And I know Ranger fans are not going to like this name because he denied us of a cup in 2014. But Drew Doughty had an incredible year, and it really wasn't talked about. Drew Doughty logged, I believe, the second most minutes in the NHL behind Kale McCarr. He was the only other guy to log six, uh, 26 minutes per game, which is insane. 26 minutes per game is nuts. And he did it on a team in Los Angeles that did not have a lot of help defensively until Vladislav Gavrikov, who is a good, solid defenseman, not great, came at the deadline. And that that defense is not really great. Sean Dersey was there. He was dealt, uh, obviously, to Arizona in the offseason. But this is not a great defensive unit in L.A. Dowdy, Gavrikov, Mikey Anderson, Matt Roy, Andreas Englund, Brant Clark is probably going to come up and play minutes for them this year. So Dowdy had a, a very sneaky good under-the-radar year, 52 points while logging a ton of minutes for a team that really wasn't all that inclined offensively. They had some guys that could score, but this wasn't they weren't an offensive juggernaut in LA. So good on Drew Doughty. He had a real good year for them. I think he was trying to prove that he and I know Shannon said this, so I'm I'm not trying to steal it, but I do agree with Shannon. I think Drew Doughty was trying to prove that he could be on Team Canada again. So Maybe it's the World Cup of Hockey that they have uh, next year in 2024. Maybe that's what he's doing. But he wants to prove that he can play for Team Canada. Definitely seems like it. Moving on from him, but this is a big breakout guy too. If you, Brandon Montour might have been the breakout guy of the year, but this is another big breakout candidate right here. Mikhail Sergachev, 10 goals, 64 points, 23 minutes per game, 49 seconds. It's actually more than Victor Hedman. He logged more minutes per game than Victor Hedman. And he actually started less of his shifts in the offensive zone in a significant amount less than Victor Hedman did. So in Tampa Bay, are we looking at the time where 
the transition goes from Hedman being the top guy to Mikhail Sergachev? Is that the era that we're looking at right now? And that's what I'm wondering. And, and I do think that Mikhail Sergachev's offensive production is sustainable. I do. I, I, I think that this guy is super talented offensively. He was a very high draft pick for a reason by Montreal. Um, I know Montreal hates that trade now because of obviously the Jonathan Duran fell off the way that he did. But Mikhail Sergachev is turning into a stud for Tampa Bay. Incredible defenseman. And speaking of incredible defensemen, and really underrated in this instance, Devon Taves. And I know that he didn't have as great of a year offensively. Colorado wasn't as good of a team offensively this year, especially losing Captain Gabriel Landeskog. But Devon Taves, plus 39, was one of the best in the league. 50 points and starts almost nearly an even amount of splits between offensive zone and defensive zone starts, despite his defense partner starting an insanely high amount of more of his shifts in the defense and the offensive zone. We're obviously going to talk, I and mean, you know who we're talking about. We're going to talk about him a little later on, but 25 minutes per game, huge numbers. Devon Taves over the last two years is a plus 91, and that leads the NHL by a significant margin over that time span. I think the next highest player, if I remember correctly, is like a plus 68 over the next two years, and I think it might be Hampus Lindholm. Because I know Hampus Lindholm was a plus 49 to lead the NHL this year. But Devon Taves is, to me, I think he may be the most underrated defenseman in the league and underappreciated because of who he plays with. And he covers for a lot of Kale McCarr's mistakes. A lot of them. But he is a solid defensive defenseman. And he is great offensively as well. So I think Taves on another team would put up a ton of points. I think he'd be a 60-plus point guy, and I think he would be a guy that would would start to get some serious Norris consideration. Top 10. Here we go. Alex Petrangelo. Nobody talks about this guy. Why? Why does nobody talk about Alex Petrangelo? 11 goals, 54 points, and only 73 games. Missed nine games. And he splits his starts in the zones Evenly, he is a Swiss Army knife. He is big. He is physical. He's offensively inclined. He's a top-notch shutdown defender. He's a top-10 defensive defenseman in the league as well. He is a leader. He is a he is the rock of that Las Vegas team in terms of defense. Shay Theodore misses time. Okay, you're missing a great point producer. Alex Petrangelo misses time. You're missing a great point producer, but you're also missing a Norris caliber defenseman. The fact that Alex Petrangelo hasn't won a Norris in his career is a testament to how good the defensemen are in the league around him. So, uh, yeah, no, we've already talked about this, Mario, in the past. It was a bad trade. It was a really bad trade. We've talked about that. I'm not going to beat a dead horse on Anthony about that. Um, but Alex Petrangelo, one of the very best defensemen in the league. Nobody talks about him. He is the guy in Las Vegas. 
It's not Shane Theodore that's the guy. He is the guy. Charlie McAvoy at nine. I know I, I he's a top ten for me for sure. Where you want to put him in your top ten, I love Charlie. My family has connections to Charlie. But And Charlie's from Long Beach. I've spent so much time in Long Beach throughout my life. Charlie, Charlie's the pride of Long Beach, New York. But Charlie is a premier shutdown defenseman. I think top three, if you ask me. And not only that, but these last two years, he's put up a bunch of points. And he's really come into his own offensively. Yes, the offensive zone starts have gotten higher for him in that time. But Charlie has shown that he is a force at both ends of the ice. He really has. He is a great, great defenseman. And I honestly think that there are probably three guys, maybe four guys on this list that he might over he might overtake in the next few years because he's just hitting his prime years, his peak years. So. Um, we're going to go back and move on to our next defenseman at eight, Josh Morrissey. I thought this guy was going to win the Norse. It, when we, I, when I was looking at the, at the numbers in like January, maybe even February, Josh Morrissey looked like he was going to start winning the Norse trophy. And I think it was the last two months of the season that really killed him. I don't know if he was burned out. I, I, I mean, I know Winnipeg was struggling as a team. They were struggling badly, but Josh Morrissey uh, just had a hell of a year. He doubled his point production from one year to the next. His previous high in points from the previous season, funny enough, Josh Morrissey, was, I believe, 37. Yes, it was 37 in 79 games in 2022. Josh Morrissey is 28 years old now. He's still young enough to the point where he's in his prime years. But I just wonder with the changes in Winnipeg, how sustainable his production is going forward. Um, I, I, I just, I wonder if, if is he, is he a 60 point defenseman going forward? Is he a 50 point defenseman going forward? Or is he going back to 40? Because if he goes back to 40, then he's probably a lot lower on this list, maybe not even on it. But he's a very good defensive defenseman. Um, the offense came out of nowhere, but he had an, an amazing year. But there are definitely questions about him going forward. He might not be in the top 10 this time next year unless he has another year like this. So. Speaking of guys that could be trending downward, Roman Yossi, 67 games played, 59 points, which is still a great season, on pace for over 70 points in an 82-game year, 25 minutes a game, but the offensive zone starts are extremely high. And I wonder about Nashville. Nashville lost a lot of talent this offseason. Now your offense is going to center around Philip Forsberg, Ryan O'Reilly, Gustav Nyquist, they're going to need big contributions from one Luke Evangelista, who's one of the top goal scorers in, in the OHL. Um, Cody Glass, 
who looks like he's been taking a step forward, and Philip Tomasino, former first-round pick, who looks like he was also taking a step forward. So if those guys can step in and be the next wave of core forwards in Nashville this year, then maybe Roman Yossi's numbers don't take much of a hit, and he's still a 70-plus point defenseman. If not, and those numbers don't, uh, they don't get back up to where they were previously, or you know he he's uh, or Philip Forsberg is hurt, and Ryan O'Reilly really kind of starts falling off because he's in his 30s. Then you know Roman Yossi could be a lot lower on this list next year. But I have him at seven as of right now because I still think he's one of the best defensemen in the league. But at his age, at 33, that could change. Going to move on from Roman Yossi to an up-and-coming defenseman, Rasmus Dahlin. This kid is a stud. An absolute stud. 73 points in 78 games. He's here. This is... This is the Norris caliber defenseman that Buffalo thought that they were getting at number one overall in 2018. The only concern I have is that the offensive zone starts are high for him. 61.7%. High. Very, very high. So if that starts to even out and he starts to go closer to an even split, does the offensive production go down and is he a 60-point defenseman? I mean, even at 60 points, Rasmus Dahlin, if the defensive play is there, would still be one of the very, very best defensemen in the league. And you just watch him play. He seems to get better every game. And just the confidence is just there. He oozes confidence, oozes swagger. I I just – I love this kid's game. I wish he was a Ranger. Uh, Buffalo's got two young studs with power. Uh, I mean, Owen Power didn't make this list. But I think next year he absolutely could. I, I love the way that Owen Power played. I think he looked great this year. So, but just not established enough for me to put him in the top 30 yet. And we're going to go back to a guy who could be going on the downslide. Eric Carlson. We've had the conversations. The offense, brilliant. The defense leaves a ton to be desired. The questions are. How does he sustain production in Pittsburgh? With Mike Sullivan actually having a system and not letting him freewheel like he did in San Jose, how does Eric Carlson produce? The power play. Are there too many chefs in the kitchen? Don't know. These are questions that are going to have to be answered. And Carlson, he's not going to start – Nearly 70%. That's insane. I have never seen someone start almost 70% of his shifts in the offensive zone. That tells me two things. One, that they don't view him as a great defensive defenseman. And two, that they don't even want him out in the off in the defensive zone. They don't want him there. So, yeah, I, I don't want Eric Carlson in the defensive zone is what, da- is what David Quinn basically said. I want you out there just putting up offense. You just go do your thing. And you know what? Yeah, he put up 101 points, but he was still a minus 26 despite that. That's not good at all. Historic year offensively, but 
my God, you are bad defensively if you're a minus 26 when you put up 101 points in a season. And even if you're even if you're possessing the puck that much, you're possessing the puck, you're playing keep away. That's your your form of playing defense. You're telling me that at that rate, you still couldn't be an even player, that you were still negative 26? Yeesh. That's bad. We're gonna go back to I know we're doing a little you know seesaw here with the on the downslide and the on the upside players, but Miro Heiskin and I have it four. 73 points in 79 games. The offensive zone starts are very high, but Miro Heiskin, and don't be fooled, is a very good defender in his own zone. Is he an elite defenseman in his own zone? No, but he's well above average, and he's going to give you very, very good minutes for a guy that's really supposed to be known as a puck mover more than anything. So for me, Miro Haskinen, this guy is a stud. And I know that was the debate in 2017. Makar or Haskinen, which one is going to be the better defenseman? It looks like to me, Haskinen's the better all-around defenseman. And he logs a ton of minutes in Dallas as well. I know Makar actually led the NHL in minutes per game amongst defensemen, but Haskinen is a, a stud as well at 25, oh, 25 and a half minutes per game. So I, I, I like that Haskinen is where he is right now. I think going forward, this type of production is sustainable. I think he's at least a 65-point defenseman going forward. I think he's going to get even better defensively. The top three, Victor Hedman. And, yes, I know I'm probably going to get some flack for this because he did not have as great of a year, but I think he's a huge bounce-back candidate. 61.8 of his uh, uh, shifts starting in the offensive zone. And it's funny because he actually started less of his shifts in the offensive zone in the year that he won his Norris. Crazy, right? But it's actually true. If you go look up the numbers, I'll pull them up for you right now so this way you have it. Because I couldn't believe it myself when I saw it. But Victor Hedman, in the year that he won the Norris in uh, 2017-2018, he had 63 points that year. He actually had 72 points the year before when he was a finalist in 2017. But Victor Hedman, in the year that he won the Norris, started – hold on. I'm actually looking at the wrong column. Sorry. He started 54% of his shifts in the offensive zone when he won the Norris. He started 61.8 this year. Crazy. But Victor Hedman is still one of the best defensemen in the league. He's got everything – size, speed. Smarts, leadership, big shot, runs, power play. Um, I, I do wonder about Mikhail Sergachev's development and how that's going to tie into Victor Hedman going forward. I think you could possibly see him lower on this list next year, but I do think he is a big bounce-back candidate. I think he could come back and score 55, 60 points and, and, and still be a stud defenseman. 
And then I, I, I just think that Hedman, I think he's going to be called upon to do a little more offensively with Tampa Bay losing some talent. And now number two, Kale McCarr. And I know I'm going to get I'm going to get heat for my number one pick. Everybody's going to say Homer. I guess you all know who it is by now. But Kale McCarr, if you watch him play in his own zone, he's not great in his own zone. He logs a ton of minutes. He actually led the NHL in minutes per game at 26-23. He's one of the best skaters I've ever seen. But his offensive zone starts are extremely high. He's not good in his own zone, and he has a great partner in Devon Taves that covers for a lot of his mistakes. So for, for me, I, I think McCarr's the best hands-down offensively. I don't think there's anybody better. I think he's got the best shot of any defenseman I see in the league. His wrist shot and his snap shot are just incredible. His slap shot I don't think is the best. I think there are guys that have better slap shots than him, like um, Hedman. I think it's a better slap shot. I think Carlson's slap shot is debatable. I think Roman Yossi probably has a better slap shot. But um, Kale McCarr, wrist shot, snap shot, his ability to get shots through net, second to none amongst defensemen. Really is. And that's why he's so dangerous offensively, Aside, obviously aside from his skating. But McCarr leaves a lot to be desired in his own zone. And he's got a great partner that covers for a lot of his mistakes. And that's, for me, that's what it comes down to. So I know a lot of Colorado Avalanche fans are not going to agree with that. And they're going to say, oh, you don't watch him. No, I do. I do. I just have a higher expectation for what I want in a defense. And I, I think Cal's great. I, I think he truly is great. I don't think he's a complete liability in his own zone. No. I think he's average in his own zone. I think his one-on-one play is okay. I, I think it's more than passable. I just think that positionally, and sometimes he just gets caught up ice a little too much for my liking. But to me, I, I don't think he's the best all-around defenseman in the league. I think it's this guy. Number one, Adam Fox. Um, and, and, and yeah, and I love this comment right here. I think if Adam Fox was as good of a skater as Cal McCarr, I, I think that nobody would say that Cal McCarr was better than Adam Fox. And I do agree with you, Matt. I think McCarr, I think Fox's game will age better because he's smarter. He's smarter. He's Probably the smartest defenseman in the league for my money, Adam Fox. I mean, the fact that you get 12 goals, you get 70 points out of him again. Again, 70 points out of him. And he's playing with a guy in Ryan Lindgren who doesn't belong on a top parent. We all love Ryan Lindgren. We can agree on that. But Ryan Lindgren does not belong on a top parent anywhere on a top pairing. He's probably a number four, maybe even a bottom pairing guy on a championship team, Ryan Lindgren. But Ryan Lindgren is not a top pairing defenseman. I think this team would benefit if Keandre Miller 
got his defensive game up to par and played with Adam Fox. Because if Keandre Miller was a physical two-way defenseman, I think Adam Fox's numbers would look even better. I think that's how you would you would be able to break that chem, that pairing up because it's the chemistry with the two of them. That's why they don't want to they don't want to do anything with that pairing. It's the chemistry. So for me, um, I'm 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 more biased towards Fox. Yes, I know, but Adam Fox to me is the best all around defenseman in the league. It's he he's he just the, he's the total package. He just doesn't have the size and the physical play, but he can play physically from time to time. You see him throw checks and knock people down, and and the the best part about Adam Fox for me in terms of defensive play is he knows how to use body positioning to take the puck from bigger, stronger forwards. Adam Fox, I wish he would work on. Like his awareness sometimes because there are times where he gets a little aloof and he starts playing like starts playing all disoriented. But Adam Fox to me is the best all around defenseman in the league. The eye test and the advanced analytics support it. So I I know that you guys I know that th- if this gets out to fan the team fans of other teams they're probably not going to like my picks. That's fine. Bash them. Go ahead. But uh, I really, I really don't think that there's a better all-around defenseman in the league. Uh, yeah, I understand why Carlson got it, but there's historic precedence for a 100-point defenseman to not get the Norris Trophy. Al McInnes, 1991. Ray Bork got the Norris Trophy that year. Provided Ray Bork scored 90 points. And he was widely considered the best defenseman in the league for a very long time. Um, yeah, Al McInnes scored 100 points and still didn't win a Norris Trophy. So, for me, I don't know how you could say that Eric Carlson was the best defenseman when he still he was still a, a minus 26 despite scoring 101 points. That's not defense. That's that that's just offense. That's it. But I am going to wrap this video up. Thank you all for joining me. Um, this will probably be put into some shorts. And uh, I know Mark will do that. And then we'll, we'll talk about other guys. But, um, you know, I tried to make this as short and sweet as possible. Actually went a little longer than I wanted to. But, um, yeah, I appreciate everybody joining me. I'm going to try to be doing more like these. We want to do more, um, you know, centers and forwards and so on. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I uh, definitely wanted to uh, do this because, I, like I said, I saw the hockey guys. And, you know what, I thought it was an interesting discussion to have. So thank you all for joining. I hope you all have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of it. Go barbecue. Jump in the pool if you have one. Or go to the beach. I'm going to do something and get out of the house now. So thank you all. Take care and have a great weekend.